Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A lot going on here around Dog Nation. Obviously, yesterday we found out the official word on Brock Bowers, the tightrope surgery going to take place, the ankle injury that he suffered in the uh, Vanderbilt game this past Saturday. Come to find out it was more of that sort of high ankle sprain variety, and now Georgia going to be without Bowers for the next few weeks at least. We'll talk more about that here coming up on our show today, but also tomorrow night dog nation very very excited about a wonderful event that we get a chance to stream live right here at dognation.com as we help raise money for a couple of terrific causes in uh, partnership with the wonderful former georgia coach mark rick and to begin our show today coach rick going to join us live here right now as we talk about that and so much more coach it is a great pleasure to have you back on the show again today we are so excited about the chick-fil-a dog bowl coming up tomorrow night there in athens and all the folks get a chance to tune in and watch that here on dog nation and help us raise money for the uh, causes near and dear to your family's heart parkinson's disease research of course crohn's disease research there as well and just thank you for being back on our program again today it's great to be here and uh, I'm, I'm excited as well we put a lot into this thing and uh, the georgia fan base in particular has really been responded well to try to help us you know, take a bite out of Parkinson's and Crohn's, as we say. But uh, it's going to be a great event. It is a private event, but everybody can watch it on dognation.com, as you mentioned. So we're just glad to be able to do that. And uh, we're, we're sitting at about $700,000 wow. right now. We're, our initial goal was seven fifty. So we hope by the end of the night tomorrow we reach that goal and beyond. I want to talk to you more about this coming up, including getting a reminder for folks about exactly what they'll see if they tune in and watch this on dognation.com. But if you don't mind, can we address the big news uh, around the Georgia program here for a moment? Obviously, we found out that uh, that Brock Bauer is going to be out for at least the next few weeks as he undergoes an ankle surgery here. Unfortunately, Coach, in your coaching career, you've dealt with some of this. Star players, important parts of the offense who also missed time. I remember uh, Nick Chubb for your team in 2015, Todd Gurley in 2014. You can go back through the years, cite other examples of this. As a head coach, how do you rally your team, whether it be for a few weeks or a remainder of a season, when a player as valuable as Brock goes down the way that he has? Well, I think the players understand it, really. I mean, they know how good these guys are. They know how valuable they are to the team. They know what kind of a catalyst that they are for the for the, everybody. And when they're gone – you know, not gone physically, but gone from, you know, field, obviously, of play, then everybody knows they got to step up their game. Everybody knows the the margin for error is just a little bit less. And, uh, you know, and sometimes that brings out the best in your team when they know that they've got a rally. And, and uh, of course, Georgia did a great job of doing that in the, in the game against Vanderbilt. Sure. And then when you think about Brock himself, you know, what does it take mentally to say, okay, well, you know, I've had this setback, I've gone through this, and now I've got a period of recovery that I've got to go through? Or, or you know, as a player, how do you take the right you know, mental approach in a situation like this? Well, all of a sudden, you know, something you perhaps maybe sometimes, you know, almost even take for granted because it's just such a given. I'm going to be out there, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be dominating the football field. All of a sudden, now you've got some work to do to kind of step back and be able to do that again. What's the proper mental approach for a player to take under those circumstances 
Well, you know, going going back, I mean, going to the player's psyche, that's, the, you know, the first thing you think about when somebody gets hurt is a guy who got hurt. Yeah. And the fact that he's in pain, the fact that the pain is physical, but the pain is also emotional because you have poured so much of your life into this game and, and into the particular season. And and uh, to, to have that taken away from you is a, is a shock to your system. And now all those competitive juices that you have on the field, you've got to use in rehab to make sure you get back, you know, as healthy as you could possibly be and as quickly as you possibly can for your team. One more on this topic. Uh, you know, you mentioned this before, <laughs> and obviously every player in the Georgia team is incredibly sad that, uh, that Brock's not going to be out there. But for other players, this does create an opportunity to perhaps, you know, get some more attention or perhaps, you know, get their moment in the sun. You know, can this be kind of an energizing moment for the other players to say, okay, Brock's not here. That means we all need to step up our game. We all need to play at our very best here. And perhaps that's true on both sides of the ball. Is there a moment here that can be kind of galvanizing? And is there an opportunity for this team to kind of rally together now knowing the tough stretch that's coming up knowing that everybody bears now perhaps a little bit more responsibility with Brock Bowers not out there yeah I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that and uh, you know a lot's going to be said about that and they're going to be very made very aware uh, that Brock's gone obviously and what does that mean now for me personally but you know I think everybody dreams of playing more making more plays being more productive uh, you know, especially in the off season. But once the season starts, it's about winning games and what what can I do to help the team win? And that's what the coaches are thinking. That's what the players are thinking. And uh, you know, the guys that do step up and have to pick, you know, pick up some of the uh, offensive production. Uh, you know, they'll they'll be ready. And uh, I know their coaches will do a good job of spreading the wealth. The website I want everybody to remember is ricksdogbowl.com. That's the name Rick with an S after it. Dog spelled D-A-W-G. Bowl, of course, B-O-W-L. Ricksdogbowl.com. The big event tomorrow night. You can watch it streaming live starting at 6.30 p.m. right here at dognation.com. Now, Coach, you and I have talked about this on the show before, about the idea for the event and the purpose of the event, but some of the audience is perhaps hearing this for the very first time. Would you remind us again about how your idea for all this came together, the fun of doing this around bowling, the the, the motivation to kind of create this great opportunity to help raise money for some wonderful causes here? How did all of this come to be? Well, you know, first of all, because I've got Parkinson's and because of my granddaughter Jaden having Crohn's disease, it was natural for us to try to do something to help, you know, the research. And it just so happened at the University of Georgia, there's a, uh, it's called the Isaacson Chair, where uh, there's been a lab basically put together to to study those very things. And Dr. K and his wife, Arthur, are doing a great job. Uh, They're world-renowned researchers in in that neurological area. And, and gut biology uh, for the Crohn's area. So, uh, you know, it's just it just turned out that some of the best research is going on right here at Georgia. Wow. And so, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to the bowling event, you know, there's been a lot of fundraisers with golf, but with golf you got to worry about rain and lightning and sure. all that stuff. And and it's also, it seems, you know, the golf tournaments tend to be more uh, men involved in that. But when you bowl, you can involve your family with it. So uh, we just decided 32 lanes. Let's uh, get sponsors for each lane and some title sponsorship. Of course, Chick-fil-A was 
wonderful to become our title sponsor for the you know Chick-fil-A Dog Bowl 2023 and and so we uh, we've um, we got people to sponsor all 32 lanes. I got some corporate and naming title sponsorship and and that's kind of how we got going. Now we're adding social media to the giving to let the Georgia Bulldog Nation join in and hopefully that's what's going to happen here in the next 24 to 48 hours. So in your life after being a coach, you've been an analyst. Someone asked you to put your analyst hat on for a second. Do you have an early thought about who the best bowler among the uh, UGA contingent might be tomorrow? <laughs> Any early handicap on that? Well, my, I know my son John is bowling for uh, D1, uh, one of the, the lane number one D1 okay. uh, sports performance. And he, he's trying to find out from uh, uh, Vandergriff because you know, he works with Grant Vandergriff. <laughs> sure. He's trying to get with Vandergriff to find out who the best bowler is. He's trying to get him on his team. So whoever's in lane one might be the best bowler. So, Coach, that is spoken like a true coach, as your son is. Always looking for that scouting report, always looking for that extra edge. You uh, certainly uh, love to see that. And we'll finish with this. You mentioned this a moment ago. The initial goal was to raise $750,000, and yet uh, you guys have already raised in excess of $700,000 here. How, um, I guess, satisfying is that, gratifying is it to know that this community around Georgia football still loves your family so much, still uh, you know, loves you personally so much, and wants to help support causes that are near and dear to you and coming out to support the chick-fil-a dog bowl there tomorrow by watching it online by you know clicking the giving tabs on social media and being a part of this how much how much do you enjoy the idea that dog nation still wants to be such a big part of what you have going on well they say if you don't burn bridges in life you can cross over again and i think that this is an example of that you know uh, my family all moved to Georgia when I became coach. My mom, my dad, my brother, my two sisters, they, they, and they all still live in Athens. And it was just a natural for Catherine and I to move back after retirement from coaching because that's where our family is and that's where uh, there's a group of people that we love. And, and uh, it just feels great that we're getting the support that we're getting from the, the Bulldog Nation. So let me remind folks one more time, the Chick-fil-A Dog Bowl streaming live tomorrow night on dognation.com starting at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a wonderful thing to watch and enjoy, obviously raising money for a great cause, but it's going to be really entertaining and a lot of fun. We're going to have uh, a lot of really cool stuff on that video screen tomorrow, getting a chance to see some of the guys bowl, watching them laughing and enjoying time with each other, and obviously uh, celebrating some time there with uh, Coach Rick and his uh, family there as well. going to be a wonderful event that we want you to all tune in and watch at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow night and if you can uh participate in the giving part of this there as well for more information let me give you the website one more time it's ricksdogbowl.com that's coach rick's name r-i-c-h-t with an s at the end ricksdogbowl.com dog d-a-w-g bowl like the bowl b-o-w-l ricksdogbowl.com you can check that out there you can participate in the giving and you can be a part of the event live tomorrow night 6 30 p.m uh, right here streamed on dognation.com. Coach Rick, really appreciate your time and your thoughts, obviously, on the Brock Bowers injury, but also the wonderful event going on tomorrow night. Thank you for allowing Dog Nation to help partner with you on this, and hopefully we all get a chance to celebrate a huge, huge total raised in support of Parkinson's <laughs> Disease Research with the Isaacson Center and also Crohn's Disease Research there as well. You guys are awesome. I really do appreciate you. Thank you, Coach. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. God bless. 
great stuff there from uh, Mark Rick, the uh, Georgia coach, a uh, real former Georgia coach. Really, really, really wonderful to have him on the show. And a really, really great time to see all of you on video tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m., for the uh, Chick-fil-A Dog Bowl, streaming live, watching some Georgia football players do some bowling, seeing Coach Rick, another great collection of special guests expected to be on hand there as well, and Dog Nation, a big part of that too. Cannot wait to see you there, 6.30 p.m. tomorrow night. And with that, we'll say that my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Don't often have a special guest to kick off a show, but when you have a chance to have Coach Rick on, of course, you take that opportunity so we're glad to have you on video for that and of course radio Athens sports radio 960 ref podcast all the podcast platforms there as well just a wonderful wonderful way to get things started here today uh with some great great thoughts from coach rick but also a great event tomorrow night that we're looking forward to being a part of and by the way more on the bauer situation you're coming up in a moment including perhaps a little bit of a surprising collection of takes from some of the national media types who are maybe not as worried about Georgia post-Brock Bowers for the next few weeks as you might think. We'll give that to you here coming up. But prior to that, let's remind you that our show today brought to you by our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Foundation waterproofing issues. Engineered Solutions of Georgia wants to be your solution to those problems. After all, they are a solutions-based company. The word solutions is right there in their name. That means they want to help you solve. Perhaps it's a small thing, right? And sometimes this stuff, you know, you see the evidence of this water creeping in where it's not supposed to be cracks in the walls and you know that's not supposed to be there and and look that way and sometimes that stuff is actually not as hard to fix as you might think and if you call our friends at esog uh they'll tell you hey just go do this do that and you're all set you're all done so they are more than happy to give you good news easy fix when that is uh, possible but if something like that is going to require a little bit more of a substantial level of work all the more reason you want engineered solutions of George on the job for you because they have an entire team of engineers on staff ready to help work with you on your foundation and waterproofing issues and there's nobody else in our marketplace that can put that level of resource to work for you to solve your foundation your waterproofing problems they are also proud partners of UGA you know how I feel about this it's really fun to support those that support the dogs in a roundabout way you sort of feel like you're supporting the dogs when you support a company like engineered solutions of georgia because they've supported uh, uga for such a long time and they are longtime friends of ours here at dog nation daily as well we get a chance to do a lot of things around here and i wouldn't be able to do any of it wouldn't be able to feed my family wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff if not for our great sponsors so uh, I personally appreciate when you guys support a great company like Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and they work really hard to give you great value for the work that they do for you there as well because they also offer a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials, installation, and design. So give them a call. The phone number could not be easier to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of Dog Nation Daily, and the solution for your foundation and your waterproofing issues. We're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. We're going to talk to him about everything going on around UGA beyond just the Bowers stuff. We'll do some of that with him, but we'll look beyond the Bowers news uh, with with Connor when he joins us here coming up in a moment. But prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse and You've heard me say this before, but you're going to hear me say it just briefly again. Sometimes it's important to kind of pull back to about 10,000 feet. We talk about the bubble of Dog Nation. Those of us who are like really into Georgia football and kind of live in this sort of Dog Nation bubble here, we have a tendency to want to zoom in on Georgia very closely. And sometimes that gives you a greater perspective of what's going on. But sometimes the zoomed in viewpoint perhaps 
allows you to maybe not see things quite as clearly as you otherwise would. And as you might imagine, on the heels of the Bowers injury, there are some uh, Georgia, play, Georgia fans, I should say, who are a little concerned here. Uh, we talked yesterday about the fact that you know Georgia's got a four-game stretch coming up. Florida that just beat South Carolina. Missouri, which just won again. Ranked opponents like Ole Miss and Tennessee. This is a tough stretch coming up. I expect at least one of these games to probably be pretty close and probably come down to the wire. And in a game that's close, coming down to the wire, in which every play is magnified in its value, the absence of a guy like Brock Bowers makes games like that tougher to win. That's just obviously true. And so there is some concern, perhaps even some angst within Dog Nation about what this season's going to look like for the next few weeks uh, with Brock Bowers out. And obviously the sort of uh, indefinite, you know, return date for DeBowers right now. We don't know exactly, you know, when that's going to be. So that creates a little bit of anxiousness in its own right about exactly what's going on here with UGA. But as we're around the doghouse, I want to highlight what some outside the bubble of Dog Nation are saying about the Bowers injury right now and the kind of concern that perhaps many Georgia fans, justifiably so, are expressing nationally. You're not getting maybe as much of that as you might think. There is still seemingly a pretty high level of confidence in Georgia, even playing without Brock Bowers right now, and this is worth considering. Let me start with the guy who's been a little bit of an outspoken critic of uh, Georgia this year, at least to begin the season. Critic's the wrong word. Skeptic. How about that? A little bit of an outspoken skeptic as it relates to Georgia. It's ESPN's Reese Davis, but Davis, speaking on one of the ESPN podcasts this week, says that the Bowers injury could, ap- could perhaps kind of bring out the best in some other Georgia players. Not saying it's good that Bowers is injured, but it could create a good opportunity for other Georgia players. I think some Georgia fans will like this. This is what Reese Davis said about the Brock Bowers injury just this week. The one thing I will say is that when they come out on the other side and he returns, hopefully to full health, mm-hmm. if they are able to navigate this path, which I pretty much expect them to do just to be candid about it they might have developed other weapons because now while it has been great for Carson Beck to have Brock Bowers as a security blanket with him not being there uh, he will have to find someone else and then maybe when they're playing in the SEC championship game against LSU or against Alabama maybe against Ole Miss again uh, depending on how everything falls they might have a couple it's not a good thing for sure because that that dude is a stud and Mm -hmm. the centerpiece of their offense but i'm not panicked about what they have coming up let me first of all say this that reese davis in the midst of that clip there said oh i expect georgia win all these games here coming up meaning the stretch they're about to go through florida missouri uh old miss tennessee bowers likely to not play in any of those games and yet davis says that he still expects georgia win all those games that is no small prediction many of you may agree with reese i guess in a roundabout way i probably do there as well but nonetheless that is no small prediction about the idea that georgia about to face a as i said before a team in florida even that just went on the road at south carolina a team in missouri that's only lost one game all year long. I actually have a brief note on the Georgia-Missouri game, at least a possibility for that game, that we're going to address later on before our show is done. Ole Miss, Tennessee, both ranked opponents. Tennessee going to try to win for the second straight year against Alabama when they go on the road on Saturday. The idea that you could say, oh, yeah, Georgia got this stretch of games coming up, uh, you know, you know, a couple of ranked opponents, a one-loss Missouri team, a team in Florida that uh, just found a way to win, a team in Florida that's already beaten, uh, you know, Tennessee this season – 
Georgia's going to win all of those games. May turn out to be true. Most Georgia fans probably think that will be true. But for a guy like Reese Davis to come on podcast and say that, once again, that's still no small prediction. And if Georgia does run the table for the next four games and the remainder of this regular season, I think Georgia fans need to appreciate what that is, you know, and and what that stretch is going to require in terms of an overall quality level of play. That that's going to require Georgia digging deep and reaching down and finding something about itself. And it seems like obviously this team has the great potential to do that. But if and when it does, it's the kind of thing that Georgia fans ought to celebrate, no matter what happens to the rest of the season from there and when it is that Brock Bowers eventually rejoins this team. And the other thing that Davis mentions there kind of goes back into something that Coach Rick was talking about a moment ago. And obviously, Rick's very wise about stuff like this. No one is happy that Bowers is injured. Of course, Georgia players want to play with a guy like Brock, who has made all of their jobs probably easier here over the course of the last couple of years. But it is just a fact of life, as Coach Rick acknowledged, that players themselves want to play. And while no one's happy that Bowers is injured, everyone is thinking about their own self-interest. That's just human nature. That's just natural. And so there are a lot of guys who probably look at this as their time to say, and it's not just tight ends, it's other players in offense or whatever else. And they probably look at this, their chance to say, hey, I can be as responsible for a Georgia win against Florida as Brock Bowers was against Auburn or whatever you want to say, you know, Kentucky, whoever else. I can step up and show guys how good I am uh, now that Brock Bowers isn't here to kind of do the things that George has been relying on him for. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there is a sense in which a football team is about a lot of players who have their own personal interests uniting together for a team cause. But there's nothing about, you know, pursuing a team goal that means a player has to worry about or need to be any less than the best that he can be individually. Of course, a lot of players kind of view this as now this could be my chance to show everybody how good I can be. And there'd be nothing wrong with feeling that way. In fact, Georgia benefits from players who perhaps do get that extra level of motivation and the extra level of energy that perhaps comes as everyone looks around and saying you know what Auburn game we all waited for Brock Bowers to make a play but he's not here to make that play anymore so now it's going to be somebody else who does make that play and players can say I've got my hand in the air and now I'm ready to do that but it wasn't just Reese Davis who expressed this as Davis said lack of panic about Georgia not going to be panicked about UGA playing without Brock Bowers not predicting Georgia to lose one of these upcoming regular season games even though Bowers isn't going to be there Paul Feinbaum on a different ESPN podcast recently uh, reflected sort of the same idea in comparing Georgia to other national championship contenders including mighty Michigan that everybody seems to love right now uh, even in that comparison Paul Feinbaum says he still likes Georgia the most. In fact, he was asked directly by Matt Barry, the host, who is the team that you trust in and believe right now among all of the national championship contenders? And here is the team that Paul Feinbaum said. Georgia. Because Really? Still? I still. Uh, I cannot trust Michigan yet uh, because I just don't know what they're capable of. I mean, I, I know Georgia has been into – games that they they prevailed when things were rough i know ohio state has played some tough games yeah but some uh florida state uh the clemson game showed me a lot but they were lucky to win um and the and the lsu game was so far so far away in, in the in the past that i'm 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 i don't know what to make out i mean i i respect what they're doing incredibly. So, I mean, I, I just feel comfortable with Georgia, a little more comfortable only because I think at, at the middle of the season, they're, they're, they're starting to turn it on. 
I'm not telling you you ought to take Paul Feinbaum's words as the gospel there. Obviously, I'm not saying the same thing about Reese Davis either. But it is a little bit of a counterbalance to perhaps some of the negativity that might exist of, oh, Georgia's doomed without Brock Bowers. I think we should all acknowledge that Georgia is facing a tough task here moving forward. It is never easy winning any game when your best player is not playing. That's especially true if your best player is the best player of them all, and I do believe that Brock Bowers, when healthy, is the best player in college football. I legitimately, genuinely believe that if he had had a full season, I think he could have won the Heisman Trophy. I just think he really could have. And so obviously, if you've got that level of player not playing, every task is made harder without him, but it's not made impossible. And Paul Feinbaum says, I still trust Georgia more than any national championship contender, even without Brock Bowers. Reese Davis says, I still expect Georgia to win all of these games while Bowers is not playing. And he also goes so far as to say, I expect to see some new playmakers emerge because now they have to because Georgia needs them to do so. Maybe Davis and Feinbaum end up being wrong about that. Maybe those assessments of Georgia are too optimistic and perhaps reality will prove that to be uh, an incorrect statement. But it does make it fun to tune in and watch what happens two Saturdays from now against Florida, and then Missouri after that, and then Ole Miss and Tennessee after that, and then a run to still go for three in 23. No one's waving the white flag, as we said yesterday. No Georgia fan is looking to be like Bama was after Mechie and Williams uh, or Ohio State was after Marvin Harrison Jr. There is no excuses. There is only opportunity. And it sounds like George is more than ready to reach out and grab the opportunity that awaits it as it gets ready to play without Brock Bowers. And that is Around the Doghouse. And this is Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. Now, before we are done, by the way, we're off to a great start here. Mark Richt off the top of the show, really good stuff. Interesting look at some of the ESPN guys and what they had to say about the Bowers situation there. Before we're done, a couple of interesting things being said, including one of the biggest voices of all the college football analysts may have accidentally let some things slip about Georgia that was perhaps not supposed to come public as of yet. We'll tell you about that here before we're done. So we're glad to have you with us. But for now, on everything related to Georgia, what's next after Brock Bowers and what else is going on besides Brock Bowers? Let's cover it all right now as we welcome in Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So, Connor Riley, let's begin by continuing the conversation we've had today. We've heard from Mark Richt already on this on today's show. Played a couple of audio clips of both Paul Feinbaum and Reese Davis. Both the ESPN guys in this case seem to still be pretty confident in Georgia, even without Bowers, and what I believe is legitimately a pretty difficult stretch here moving through the next four games for Georgia. How easy do you think it's going to be for Georgia to win out in, let's just say, the regular season? How easy do you think it's going to be for Georgia to win out in the regular season without Brock Bowers playing, we presume anyway, the next uh, handful of games for Georgia? I do believe that they should still go out and win each of these last last five games of the 2023 regular season, even without Brock Bowers. If they find a way to lose one of these games, then I don't believe this is a team capable of winning a championship, even with Brock Bowers. Uh, you know, yes, Brock is an incredibly talented player and is singularly unique in what he is able to bring to the Georgia football team. He's not the only good player out there, and there are enough talented players still on this team that are capable of playing well enough together to beat the teams on this schedule. That while yes, uh, they've all 
pulled off some impressive wins. I believe uh, you know the four SEC teams are twenty-one and five in total. Those teams also have some pretty glaring flaws in my mind that Georgia should be able to exploit. All right, so I think you're bringing up a really good point. I want to make sure make sure people hear this and understand that. What you're saying is is that if Georgia does lose in the regular season, which could obviously harm its chances of making the college football playoff and winning a third straight national championship, that it would not have lost that game because Brock Bowers didn't play. It would have lost that game because Georgia did not have enough besides Brock Bowers to really make sure it maintained its status as a national championship contender. Am I hearing you right when you say that? Yeah, you know, like look, Brock does a lot of things for this Georgia team, and I mean, you can just look back at the Auburn game. Uh, to see that and the difference that he makes in those situations. But Georgia never should have been in a seven-point game against an Auburn team. And, yes, it's, it's difficult to win on the road in Jordan in, in Jordan here Stadium. But there are other things that Georgia didn't do very well that day, chiefly, you know, in that game, the run defense there. And if Georgia's going to lose, like, Brock Bowers, yes, helps cover up for a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, shortcomings, deficiencies, and whatnot. But this is still a Georgia team that, you know, we're, we're seven games into the season now. This, this Georgia team is what this Georgia team is. And, yes, I understand that the weirdness that was this past Saturday with the field conditions and, and I think Kirby making the choice pretty clearly to get out of there with a win. And that doesn't explain the poor start that they had to this game where they gave up a touchdown on the first drive of the game with some poor miscommunication in the secondary and, and then give up a sack fumble and really allow Vanderbilt to, to have control of the first quarter of that game there. You know, this Georgia team has shown us enough times who they are, even with Brock Bowers, to believe what they are. And if, if they're going to find a way to, to lose one of these games that I don't believe they should, uh, it's going to be because of the self-inflicted wounds that this team has shown that they're willing to commit themselves to. So let me share with you my biggest concern. I expressed this yesterday. I'll give you a chance to respond. If we would agree that the average starter level player is not worth any points to a point spread, in other words, if he doesn't play, the point spread doesn't change at all. The very best quarterbacks are maybe worth like, say, seven points to a point spread, uh, you know, about a touchdown or so. Then I think Bowers, because when you look at the way that he impacted the Auburn game, for instance, and, you know, things like that, I think Bowers is probably worth a couple of points, maybe three points at the most, but a couple of points to an overall, you know, Georgia point spread, I believe, which means in a stretch of games coming up where I think at least one of these next four games is probably going to be really close, played down to the wire, in which every play is going to be more magnified. And if Georgia is theoretically a couple of points worse without Bowers out there, then I do think that winning at that point in time becomes a lot more difficult. In other words, you know, if it's a game like, say, Florida, and instead of winning by 21, you win by 17, well, no one really, you know, cares about that necessarily. But if it's a game against so-and-so, and it's a one-score game late, well, all of a sudden being, you know, two or perhaps three points worse – that does have the potential of changing the outcome. So the point I'm getting to here is, is whatever downgrade exists for Georgia in absence of Bowers kind of only matters if you play a close game. But at some point in time over the course of the next month, I do sort of expect Georgia to play a close football game. And to your point there, I think Brock is maybe closer to like a point, point and a half in terms of the point spread there. Because while, yes, he is a tight end, you still have to find someone to get him the football. And, you know, we can even bring back the Auburn game here. Carson Beck was really good in the second half of that game when he absolutely needed to be on the road there. Uh, I think 8 of 10 on third downs. Uh, it, it was not just Brock in that game. Yes, Brock made big plays, obviously, but with the position that he plays, uh, you know, he is somewhat reliant on, on getting the ball. And I'll say this, you know, uh, Mike Bobo is always going to be, you know, some Georgia fans' number one punching bag. 
he has done a phenomenal job of scheming Brock open and finding ways to get Brock not just open but like wide open. I think he's going to be able to do that even without a gravity, you know, changing player in Brock Bowers out there. We've seen enough from guys like Marcus Rosemary Jackson and Ra Ra Thomas on those third down situations. Dominic Lovett, Lad McConkey there as well to, to see them in spots where they are able to to make big, not necessarily explosive plays per se, because that is something this sort of team I don't think has done all that well this season, but get in situations where they're able to pick up those key yards there. And one guy that I think, you know, everyone we talk about the passing game and the impact there, Dejon Edwards has gotten better every single week this yeah. season. Yes, it was Vanderbilt this past weekend, and I get that, I understand that. If he's healthy, like, you know, I actually think that he's in a position where Georgia, maybe they should have won the ball a little bit more. Quite frankly, I thought they should have ran the ball more on Saturday. Uh, if, you know, for Carson Beck to have 39 pass attempts in that game, but the way that game had sort of gone, I know a lot of those were quick passes, extensions in the run game. Kirby Swan will say that. I think they got to find a way to get the ball more in Dejon Edwards' hands because that guy, you know, has shown week in, week out since he came back against South Carolina. He's probably on a down-by-down basis. Georgia's second, maybe third best, if you want to put Carson Beck up there, most effective offensive player. And so having him out there and having him make plays, I think would be really important for this offense. I want to come back to Edwards in a moment because I totally agree with everything you're saying. Let me do one thing before we get there. We said yesterday that the players who perhaps shoulder the largest responsibility in absence of Bowers, it's not necessarily Oscar Delp or one of the other tight ends, although I do believe uh, that that's a real opportunity for those guys to kind of show what they're all about, especially Oscar Delp, who I've actually been pretty pleased with for the most part this year. Um, I think it's big for Dominic Love, who had nine catches on Saturday. It just sort of stands to reason that Georgia might play one tight end more frequently now. That's likely to be Delp in kind of a traditional tight end role, and that creates the opportunity for Dominic Love at playing the slot, and it seems like he's kind of coming into his own at his biggest statistical performance against Vanderbilt there on Saturday. And the other guy, assuming that he's fully healthy to me, is Ladd McConkey. You know, a year ago, McConkey was, I think, the second most reliable kind of explosive player you need the big play through the air McConkey goes out and gets that for you that if he could return to full form and I think that's kind of a big if right now just given what you know continues to be true about McConkey's back but if he could return to full form then some of the throws that Brock was receiving the last few weeks then some of that could go McConkey's way and Georgia could maintain a fairly similar level of offensive production. So before we get more heavily into the running game, do you agree with me? Love it, McConkey. Those are the two big names to know in terms of how the Georgia offense evolves without Brock Bowers. I disagree with you there, and I'm okay. curious as to and Mike Griffith did you know three players to watch. His name was not in there. Uh, my buddy Palmer Tomes did something similar. I don't believe his name came up. Why are you not saying Marcus Roseme Jackson? Fair enough. And I'm just, I like this is not an accusatory thing. I'm just curious there. Well, because to me, Roseme Jack Saints already a pretty big part of the offense. He had 99 yards receiving against Kentucky the other day. I guess I'm talking about guys in love it who have not been as big a part of the offense yet. McConkey because he hasn't played. So I'm looking at like replacing the Bowers numbers. And to me, Roseme Jack Saints seems like less of an option on that because he's already out there playing and producing. But in the case of Lovett and McConkey, it seems like they have a greater value add still left to provide. I just think with what we've seen from Marcus this season, I think that his skill set is more, you know, something that we're going to see Georgia lean into a little bit more than we potentially are with Lovett. You know, Lovett's only averaging nine nine yards per catch, and and I think when you look at those explosive plays, those downfield plays where Brock 
has been his his most impactful version. Marcus has shown the ability to do that there, and even in playing one last game, you know he's still Georgia's second leading receiver on the season. And, and so, like, I, I get why people talk up Love it, and I get why people talk up McConkie Love it because of the transfer portal and him coming in there. Again, we've seen seven games of him now, and yes, you lose Brock Bowers there. I don't know that Georgia's going to suddenly start gradually changing, or drastically changing, rather, the way that they use Lovett in that manner. And, and as far as Ladd, you know, Ladd didn't play the second half on Saturday. Like, we can keep saying, uh, you know, this back injury and whatnot, and if he can get back to full strength, it's been seven weeks now. It'll be eight weeks after the bye week. You know, this just might be who Vlad McConkie is at this point. And I hate saying that because I obviously know how good he was last season and what he meant to that Georgia team. But if we're still waiting for him to get healthy eight weeks into a season, I'm I'm really skeptical that we're going to see that. And so I think you need to to look maybe more at the guys who have been there on a week out week out basis. And I think Marcus Williams and Jack Saint is that guy for this team. Uh, let's move on. You mentioned Dejon Edwards a moment ago, and clearly he had a terrific game on Saturday and has played well for Georgia as of late. At one point in time this year, it was fair to say the Georgia rushing attack was a concern, you know, based on what they were you know, getting done. Obviously, the lingering injuries for guys like Kendall Milton. But is Dejon Edwards performing at a high enough level now that it's eliminated the Georgia rushing attack from the concern category? Is Edwards good enough for that to be true? I would say yes. I mean, obviously, if he gets hurt, that changes a lot of things, and obviously, you don't want him to get hurt. But when he plays, like, look, his, like, you know, again, he's not the say explosive runner that like a 2018 DeAndre Swift was. His ability to just keep moving forward and consistently get four or five yards to carry, uh, however, you know, however it may be, whether it be the offensive line opening holes or Edwards himself making guys miss. I think that's incredibly valuable, and that's something that, you know, again, like you're not going to suddenly start giving him the ball 25 times a game, but you're seeing him, especially later in these games. You saw it against Vanderbilt on Saturday, and again, yes, Vanderbilt. But his ability to just keep moving and sort of wear an opposing defense out, I think that's really important and valuable. And, and, uh, you know, let's even spin this ahead to Florida. You know, yes, that's a Florida team that played well against Tennessee earlier in the season and slowed down that rushing attack. But as this Florida team gets deeper into the season, Depth is going to become a bigger issue for them, and yes, they're coming off a bye week there. But I think as this Florida team gets deeper into its season, you know, the longer these games sort of go, the harder it is going to be on them. Conversely, I think that's where Georgia is, I think, set up to succeed. And so, as we get deeper into the season for Georgia, I think Georgia's in a position where they can lean on Deja Edwards. Now, I will say, Kendall Milton before his injury, before it sort of sounded like his MCL yep. tightened up a little bit that was as good as he had looked all season. And yeah. so, you know, hopefully the injury gets some time to heal a little bit more. Uh, it sounds like he maybe could have gone back in, had the game been a bit more competitive and the field conditions been a lot better, obviously. Uh, if you're able to get that level of rushing tag, what you saw in the first half on Saturday, uh, it, it goes from, it's no longer even a concern to me, but possibly a straight. Now, some of that is certainly the opponent, but I'm interested in seeing what this rushing attack looks like for the rest of the regular season after what we saw against Vanderbilt. All right, the time you and I have left, I want to talk about the Georgia defense here for a moment, and I feel like right now, and I've talked about this a little bit both on Saturday's postgame show and some on the show yesterday there as well, this Georgia defense is a little bit more in keeping with the kind of defense that a good team typically has. In other words, this is a good defense, the likes of which you oftentimes see good teams have, but it's not in keeping with the kind of 
cartoonishly dominant superhero style defense that we've seen Georgia from the last couple of years maybe a little bit more of a comparison to what Georgia had in 2020 and not nearly as much of a comparison to 2021 or 2022 in other words I don't think the Georgia defense is going to be a reason they necessarily lose a game I think they're still good but I don't know it's the kind of bulletproof protection that makes losing impossible the way that sort of seemed like certainly in 2021 was and for a good stretch of 2022 there as well. Do you think that Georgia has an elite defense? Through seven games, it does not, but I do believe it has the potential to be an elite defense. And I actually think this is the group that needs to step up the most post-Bowers injury. Uh, I think it needs to show that it is an elite unit. This group has elite players in my mind. Malachi Starks has proven to be that this season. I think Small Munden is playing linebacker at an elite level right now. Kamari Lassiter is doing that at the cornerback position. You could even say for flashes here, Michael Williams has done that as an edge rusher. But this, you know, the, the defense has not as a whole played as an elite unit this season. Uh, you know, front to back, back to front, however you want to describe it. We just haven't seen that level of dominance. I think it's in there. You saw it, you know, second half against South Carolina, certainly. I think at times for stretches in that game against Kentucky. Uh, There are some tinkers that are being made in terms of personnel changes and what they're doing moving forward. I'm interested in seeing what this group looks like coming out of the off week. I would agree with you. This has been a good unit. It has not been a great unit for the first uh, seven seven weeks of the season. Uh, You know, as strange as it sounds, this group has, has nine interceptions on the season, I believe now. But it has not recovered a fumble at all. And off the top of my head, they're not forcing a lot of fumbles there either. So I'll be interested in seeing how that impacts this unit going forward. Obviously, there's not, you know, other than maybe Michael Williams, a too dominant pass rushing force on this team. Uh, there are some tweaks I think that they can potentially make. And I'll be interested in seeing. I think you need to see this Georgia defense level up over these next five games. And Lord knows they're going to need to get need to because of the tests they're going to face in Missouri at home with Luther Burden. Uh, Ole Miss with Jackson Dart, and then on the road against the Tennessee team that has shown capable of running the football very well this season. So I think with what you have defensively, it's only been good to this point. They have a lot of elite players. I need to see this group come together and play as an elite unit over these next five games. Speaking as a Georgia fan, my most kind of hopeful evaluation on this is you look at how Georgia you know, participated guys against Vanderbilt. We saw Marvin Jones playing a pretty good bit. We saw Damon Wilson playing early. Those are guys that obviously, because of their top-end potential that we perceive, I'd love to be able to see those guys a lot more and really see this Georgia coaching staff grow to trust those guys to be kind of, you know, what the recruiting profile suggests they could be. You know, listen, I still have all my Marvin Jones Jr. stock. I think he's been slowed down by injuries, uh, certainly last year and I believe this year too. Damon Wilson's obviously a really exciting player, but admittedly, even as I kind of remain optimistic and excited about the fact that both those guys kind of got a shot last week against Vanderbilt saying, hey, Georgia's, this is what I might say, hey, Georgia's chances of being elite rest on these guys we really haven't seen a ton from yet, just really blossoming over the course of this you know, next stretch of games here. That's a pretty big ask from guys we really haven't seen play at an elite level yet. But admittedly, seeing Damon in the game, seeing Jones Jr. in the game last week, you know, that kind of gets you a little bit excited. Yeah, I was texting with people, and specifically the development at outside linebacker there. It's one of those things where it's like, it's great that this is happening against Vanderbilt. I wonder how much of this is the fact that it's Vanderbilt or how much of the fact that these guys are making those positive strides in their development to where they are now 
you know, in a spot where they can be first team contributors on a more down by down basis. It's one of those things where like, you know, in the third quarter, like, great, this is awesome. We got to wait two more weeks to find out, you know, is this a real thing where, you know, yes, Mar- uh, Marvin Jones Jr. is playing the same number of snaps as Chaz Chambliss. Is that something Georgia envisions doing going forward? Or was this sort of a one-off thing because of the fact that it is Vanderbilt? Now, some of the other defensive participation stuff throughout the team would maybe lead me to believe that it is more the former than the latter there because, you know, only two guys played inside linebacker on Saturday. It was Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Smile Munden there. Uh, only six guys played in the secondary. You know, Julian Humphrey rotated in for Dalen Everett on a few series. Well, for the most part, that the, the starting secondary was the guys out there. So I, I think, you know, this is sort of the defense that they see going forward, the guys are going to use in terms of personnel and whatnot. And for the most part, this is a fairly healthy group right now. So I would be really interested in seeing what we see from this defense, both in terms of production but also personnel playing when they take on Florida at the end of the month. All right, Connor, great stuff. I look forward to reading a whole lot more from you there at dognation.com. We appreciate your time on our program today, and we'll talk to you again next week, Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. We'll see you then. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I want to go back real quick to something that Connor and I were talking about, about the idea of, well, who steps up without Bowers? And Connor made the point about Marcus Roseme Jackson, and I was kind of talking about Dominic Love at, you know, Lad McConkey. Obviously, I still expect a lot from Marcus Roseme Jackson. I think he gives you a lot. But if you want to get, like, super deep in the weeds for a moment, you know, I was talking about, well, you know, Brock Bowers may be worth about two points per game to Georgia, maybe three. Connor said maybe more like a point and a half. The reason why it's not more than that is because the production that Bowers gives can be replaced by somebody else. And to me, just to keep things as simple as possible, it just stands to reason that production might more likely come from guys who have not been producing as of yet. In other words, if Rosemey Jackson comes out and gives you a 90-yard receiving game, well, that's not replacing the Bowers numbers. That's just giving you what Rosemey Jackson and a lot of games has kind of typically given you that you need more in addition to that. Now, if Rosemary Jackson comes out and gets you 125, well, now you're talking about some new value add from him that does kind of replace some of those Bowers numbers. But I expect Levitt to be on the field more, and I expect George to probably throw his way more. And, yeah, as Connor pointed to, they're throwing short to Levitt right now, but, listen, that's not necessarily such a bad thing necessarily. Um, and in the case of McConkey. This is a guy that doesn't have to be on the field a lot to have a very big impact. In other words, if you play five snaps, but one of them's a 35-yard catch, well, at that point in time, you've been very valuable for Georgia there. You really have. And obviously, you'd like to have more than just that. But McConkey, even if he's not fully healthy, can still impact Georgia without playing necessarily the full game. You don't have to play 50 snaps to make a big impact if you're a guy like Ladd McConkey showing his ability to kind of get behind a defense. That's just some of the stuff we're going to be watching here moving forward. Some other stuff that we're watching is all the really fun stuff happening with our friends at Royal Caribbean. We showed you some great stuff yesterday. Some of our Dog Nation cruisers uh, having a good time, already thinking about April of 2024. But when you think about Royal Caribbean in 2024, I want you to think about some more stuff there as well, including the debut of Icon of the seas coming up in january largest cruise ship in the world when it sets sail to begin the new year and i have the confirmation it is it is official i will be on icon of the seas here in january of 2024 simply for the purpose eyewitness account sort of a first person testimonial i'm kind of like 
you ever see the movie Smoking the Bandit? I'm sort of like Bandit. I'm going ahead of you to kind of tell you uh, what to look for and what to enjoy and what to be ready for. That's kind of my purpose here. Uh, I am literally doing this for you. It is tough work, but someone's got to do it. So I'm going to be on board Icon of the Seas to come back and tell you, hey, here's what you need to enjoy when you plan your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation to be on board Icon of the Seas. And of course, Jessica Slater is a terrific travel agent. She can help you out with all of that. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. You can check all of that out today. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC just for a moment here, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Gary Danielson, always kind of a lightning rod, and he did something kind of interesting on the CBS broadcast on Saturday. So near the end of the game, Tennessee beating Texas A&M, Danielson was just sort of speaking off the cuff for a moment. And he said, you know, Tennessee has not lost a home game since Georgia came here in November of 2021. And we're going to be back here in a few weeks to see Georgia come back to Knoxville. So that's a little bit of a let the cat out of the bag type moment there that Georgia, Tennessee, I guess we have no official game time announcement on this. Not a huge surprise necessarily, but Danielson sort of lets it slip. And our buddy Brad Nessler confirms that Georgia will be in uh knoxville and cbs will be there apparently as well this is not official confirmation but it looks like all but confirmed georgia tennessee 330 cbs coming up there in november danielson lets that slip now let me give you one more thing to think about from a georgia game time type deal we know that georgia florida is obviously 330 cbs it always is another cbs opportunity for georgia you gotta think about this it's the first Saturday in November. That's the day of the CBS primetime game. Now, this oftentimes has been Alabama LSU. It's been Alabama Texas A&M before as well. I believe it was last year. But oftentimes, this is Alabama LSU. Alabama LSU also play on that particular Saturday too. But neither Alabama nor LSU are, once, are what they once were. Now, if they keep winning games, then perhaps they'll just go with that with the thought that it might be more competitive. It obviously will have a lot of high stakes in the SEC West as long as both those teams keep winning. But y'all, there is a possibility that one loss Missouri, unbeaten Georgia, gets the nod as the primetime game on CBS the first Saturday of November, like an 8 p.m. start uh, there. I guess the last time Georgia would have played 8 p.m. on CBS would have been uh, the Notre Dame game back in 2019. But there is a very good shot here, at least a reasonable possibility that georgia missouri ends up getting that prime time spot spot there first saturday in november it sounds like they will be 330 for the game against tennessee and perhaps uh, also kind of looking ahead to that prime time game there too so georgia may have a lot of cbs in its future here uh looks like the georgia tennessee game for sure georgia florida obviously that's already been announced before the season even begins but keep your eye on georgia missouri the idea that could be a little bit of a prime time type deal at least the possibility maybe getting the nod over alabama lsu something worth considering now speaking of alabama and lsu playing again on saturday bama opens here is about a 10 point favorite here at home uh, we obviously know what happened a year ago. Tennessee got the win. They've written books about it. They polluted the Tennessee River in celebration of it. The win against Alabama. Can they do it again? Can they go to Tuscaloosa? Much more difficult task and win here. What's fascinating to me about Tennessee is, and I feel like you got to give the Vols a little bit of credit. They have bounced back well after having lost to Florida, uh, getting wins against Texas A&M, and you know easily dispatching South Carolina that Tennessee's playing a better brand of football. And what's interesting here is they're playing a completely different brand of football, I would say, than what 
caused him to kind of have that breakout season a year ago. Now, Nick Saban's talked a lot about how he, when he looks at Joe Milton, he sort of sees Hendon Hooker and all that kind of stuff. But the way in which Tennessee's playing, that's not quite the not quite the case. They are running the ball a lot more right now. They're playing better defense than they have at any point in time in the Josh Heupel era. Their defensive line's actually pretty good. So it is a very different game this year with Jalen Milrow battling Joe Milton than it would have been last year when Hendon Hooker was battling Bryce Young in a game that had darn near 100 points scored in it. That's not quite the way either of these two teams are playing right now. Um, and for Tennessee, boy, a lot changes fast if that team goes on the road and beats Alabama. All of a sudden, the Georgia-Tennessee game in November, not only is it likely on CBS, all of a sudden now it's got much, much higher stakes, and Tennessee's kind of back in the conversation after having you know lost to uh, Florida a couple of weeks ago. And for Alabama, it would be devastating for Nick Saban to lose two straight to Tennessee after the long winning streak that's kind of taken place there. So I don't take too much from Alabama's loss. I should say Alabama's close win against Arkansas last week. We sort of said they were due for a heat check. I don't think that's a harbinger of doom for this game coming up against Tennessee. But this is an Alabama team that is limited. This is an Alabama team that just does not quite fire off the way that previous Alabama teams have had. And so if you're the kind of person that makes picks, or if you're the kind of person that want to you know, give hot takes about games, this is not an automatic take on Alabama. This is not a rubber stamp type situation. I don't quite know that uh, Tennessee's the right side here either, but this is a game that, that it deserves further examination. And here on the show this week, we're going to do that. Now, speaking of Alabama and Nick Saban, I want to go back to a topic, and this is going to require a little bit of memory here for you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you remember after the Georgia-Auburn game, Hugh Freeze was doing some sort of rubber chicken like booster club type thing, and he talked about how Georgia and Auburn were not going to be playing each other every year anymore. And we kind of made a joke about the fact that Auburn doesn't want to play Georgia. And Hugh Freeze was kind of immediately called out for allegedly revealing the future of SEC scheduling. And we sort of thought at the time that Freeze was just kind of, I don't know, just speaking ill-prepared, right? Just sort of shooting off his mouth and not knowing what he was talking about. And later on, he actually said, I don't, listen, I don't know what the future of SEC scheduling is. But he had dropped the hint that the SEC was going to keep the eight-team schedule going forward and Georgia was going to be playing Auburn every year. And Later on, he kind of backtracked from that. I didn't make too much of it at the time, but Thursday night on his radio program, Nick Saban's one of the few coaches left that still has like an old-school, traditional call-in type radio program. And near the end of that show, and perhaps Saban's just getting a little punchy and perhaps he's just kind of, you know, I don't know, just ready to get out of there and not really quite thinking about what he's saying, but Saban also said, very similar to what Hugh Freeze said the other day, that moving forward, the SEC is going to have seven uh, rotational conference games and one permanent opponent. And Alabama's permanent opponent is, of course, going to be Auburn. And they're going to play throughout the rest. They're going to play the rest of the league over the course of every four years. This seems to be a pretty odd coincidence that both Hugh Freeze and Nick Saban have kind of dropped you know unintentionally perhaps this little bit of a hint that the sec kind of knows behind the scenes after the one and done makeshift conference schedule of 2024 they plan on keeping the eight game schedule for the long haul this is not a confirmation on this but this is two different coaches who have strongly intimated this being true within the last few weeks and i gotta tell you something here i know we're kind of in the middle of this season we're not worried about future schedules right now but if this is really what the sec is doing 
if this is what the SEC's response is to bringing in Texas and Oklahoma to give us less of the, the rivalry games that we've you know come to love, Georgia-Auburn, for instance, Alabama-Tennessee, for instance, if that's what this is going to be moving forward, then I think it's a very poor trade-off. And to me, I think you have to be very concerned here about the ground that the SEC is losing to the Big Ten in this overall battle for conference supremacy. If the SEC can't negotiate with ESPN to get some more money for some more conference inventory, then I think you've got some reason to be concerned. And when I bring stuff like this up, people always say, well, the SEC is still way better on the field. Maybe, but if you look at ESPN FPI right now, three of the top four teams are in the Big Ten. Not likely to last, of course, but I think you've got to be careful here. I, I do. I think the SEC's got to be careful. It's got its wagon hitched to ESPN. We've talked over and over again about the myriad problems that network has, even existing moving forward. And all of a sudden now you're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, but at least according to Nick Saban and according to Hugh Freeze, speaking off the cuff and certainly unauthorized, it sounds like the SEC's trading some really valuable permanent rivalries for this newfangled stuff between Texas and Oklahoma. It just sort of feels like the SEC's losing some of what's made it the SEC if this ends up being the case. Now, we'll follow this story and we'll see where it goes, but I believe this is a reason to be a little bit concerned here. The SEC adding two new teams to the conference but not necessarily getting better because of the additions. Be careful about this and be careful about this long-term partnership with a network and ESPN that's just a complete and total mess. This is worth paying attention to. By the way, speaking of the Big Ten, we'll also mention very quickly, you've got Penn State and Ohio State on Saturday, Ohio State hosting the Nittany Lions here. I think it's very interesting how quiet Penn State's mostly been here this season, but there's a chance this is a very good football team and there's a chance they could win this game. Once again, I'm not ready to make an official pick on this game, but uh, uh, I think the Nittany Lions need to be taken seriously here. And there's also a chance we kind of find out that Ohio State just ain't it here this season. You know, they were lucky to beat Notre Dame, took 10 men on the field uh twice for ohio state to get the win and despite the fact that ryan day calls out lou holtz i think much of what holtz has said is kind of probably still you know very much uh more likely true than not ohio state's just not been a tough football team but now they don't really quite have the offensive firepower to kind of cover up for the lack of toughness they have had maybe they win on saturday and maybe ohio state becomes a big part of both the playoff and the national championship discussion moving forward but for as much as I believe that Michigan has kind of proven here uh, thus far this season, continuing to win games very easily, I don't think that Ohio State's been quite as impressive. And I think it's a lot more justifiable to have a pretty high degree of skepticism about Ohio State right now. To me, this just does not have the look of a true national championship contender. We'll see if they can change that coming up on Saturday against Penn State. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, quick shout out before we uh, get ready to uh, wrap things up today. I mentioned a moment ago the race for the SEC East, the SEC West. This is the final year of divisional play in the SEC and kind of the final year of that traditional divisional format for the SEC championship game. You start thinking about the first Saturday in December and the SEC championship. Many of you are thinking about who don't live in the Atlanta area, your travel plans to come to Atlanta. Well, that's when I want you to keep our friends in Dunwoody in mind, not just for the SEC championship weekend, but for anything you have going on here in the Atlanta area. If you're flying into the Atlanta airport, if you're going to Buckhead, you're going to midtown downtown wherever else but you kind of want to stay out of the hustle and bustle a little bit you want convenient access to all those in-town locations but maybe you want something a little more family friendly or a little safe or whatever else you want something great here in the dunwoody area i want you to check out our friends at discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation because here in this area which dog nation calls home right here in dunwoody there's a couple thousand hotel rooms wonderful hotel options and great savings on a lot of these hotel choices there as well 
couple hundred restaurants there as well. Um, really, really, uh, did I say like 2,000 hotel rooms? Let me make sure I get that number right. Like more than 2,000 hotel rooms, a couple of hundred restaurants, like 300 shopping opportunities. It's just a really great weekend getaway right here in this Dunwoody area. And if you need to get back to the airport, if you need to go downtown or go to Buckhead, somewhere like that, we're also nestled in between two different MARTA stations for incredibly convenient access to everything going on here in the Atlanta area. So once again, check out discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for more on that. That's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation for a lot more on that and of course atlanta can be a great weekend destination so can uh nashville too typically speaking but maybe not for everyone there at the game i want to show you our first golden shoe for today a lot of these golden shoe uh, submissions for today are kind of sent around folks who were kind of some anyway at the game on saturday so because of the, all the construction going on, you had to walk through the basketball arena to get to the football stadium. Now, I actually love this because I grew up watching that gym on TV. It was kind of cool to see it in person. I'd never done that before. And it's a really amazing, wild configuration, very old school and kind of cool. But William Billy Ray wrote in saying, it's an embarrassment. You've got to go through the basketball arena to get into the stadium. Apparently, $50 million per year doesn't go as far as it used to. That's the money that Vanderbilt cashes from the SEC. Yeah, they're good at cashing checks. Not great at writing them, though, unfortunately. Uh, Billy Ray will give you a golden shoe there for that. Our next one, I sort of shared a uh, photo of me and kind of a not great view in the press box there on Saturday. Sundog showing off his view. Wonderful flat screen TV nestled right there above the uh, fireplace. That's a very comfortable and cozy way to watch college football on a Saturday. Sundog will give you a golden shoe for that. And uh, speaking of folks being there in Nashville, our buddy Anthony White was there as well. He says, here's his view. Nice seats, good view there, and a good-looking Georgia hat on in the uh, stadium there in Nashville. We hope Anthony had a great time at the game on Saturday. We'll give him a golden shoe for that there as well. A lot of folks traveling to Nashville having a good time. Also, a lot of folks getting ready to travel down to the cocktail party in Jacksville, and that one's getting so close. We are inside of two weeks now. In fact, let's show you how many days away we are. 11 days from now. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party, the lousy, stinking gators getting slapped around. That is our gator hater countdown. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.